Welcome to the Jesus Movement Podcast, presented by Awaken the Dawn. We host conversations so you can hear stories from across the movement, receive fresh biblical insights, and gain practical tools to experience more of Jesus's presence in your life, ministry, and city, because we believe Jesus changes everything. Hey, this is Matthew Lilly. Welcome to the podcast today. Everybody, we're going to be talking about the priesthood. No, we are not talking about Catholicism. Uh, We are talking about that every Christian is part of what 1 Peter calls the royal priesthood. And we've got Chris Burns with us today. He's just written a book called The Priesthood, and we're excited to talk about this topic. It's actually really important, and it's very connected to who God made you to be what he's called you to do, and what we're all going to be doing for all of eternity. So you're going to want to make sure you stay connected on this episode, stay till the end, because there's some amazing revelation that I believe God wants to give all of us about what it means for us to be priest and to be a royal priesthood together, and how that's connected to all of God's purposes for our lives and for the world. So Chris Burns, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much, man. Absolutely love you, what you're doing. Glad to be here, jump into this stuff. So let's start with why did you write this book? Bro, let me say this. I love what you do in demystifying um, a lot of these subjects, a lot of these topics. And I I think that's really the heart behind it. A lot of the heart for me behind writing the priesthood has been, I think, just trying to give language from the Bible that's deeper than what we typically hear. And I think there's a lot of, in our stream of pioneering Tabernacle of David and all of these different things, the worship movement, the prayer movement, I think there's a lot of language that sometimes sounds fluffy. It doesn't sound theologically maybe sound. And I think that there's just a need for biblical language that captures the heart of the revelation that we're moving in and what we feel called to do and demystifying it a lot as well. You hear things like talk about Melchizedek, things like that, and people get like weirded out. Like, what is that? You know, it shouldn't be that way. And we should have an understanding of different things of the priesthood. Like you see that not purposeful, or I should say, it's not like people are, are purposefully trying to be wrong about saying like you're a Levite, but you hear that language a lot, for instance, in the church referring to musicians, like you're a Levite mm. and the worshipers are Levites. When really I, I get what they mean, but it's not really biblically accurate. And it just shows ignorance, which, you know, mm. is it just means that there needs to be teaching. There needs to be training. There needs to be understanding. Like worshipers in the new covenant I mean, the church are not Levites. We are, we belong to a different priesthood. And so it's important to know what priesthood you're belonging to so that you can operate in the fullness of that. Yeah, so good. So let's just go real basic here. What does it mean to actually be a part of the Christian priesthood? What does it mean that we are a royal priesthood? What does it mean that we are a priest, if that's the right way of saying it and thinking about it? Like, just make it very, very simple, very practical. Like, what, is, what does that even mean? Because to me, some of the language sometimes, while it's biblical and I love it and I love to nerd out about this stuff, but you know, sometimes people go, what does it even mean to be a priest? So how do you define that in the book? Yeah, I would say I I define that, which by the way, is very difficult to like 
boil that down to a really layman's terms kind of kind of way in some ways, but it's absolutely necessary that we do that. To me, we have to go back to original intent when it comes to what is a priest. Really, a priest is someone who ministers to the Lord in fellowship with the Lord. You know, Adam, to me, is that first picture of a priest. They walk in fellowship and intimacy with God, and they represent him to mankind or represent him. I like the represent, right. broken down form of represent. We represent the Lord and his ways and his character and his nature to mankind. So we, we stand in that place as conduits between heaven and earth, God and man. And it's our fellowship with God that gives us that place to represent man to God. And of course, the, the truth of the matter is Jesus is our high priest, and holy man, fully God. He represents God to man and man to God, that he is that bridge. Jesus is the high priest. So I think that our priesthood is really found in this, that we walk with God, but that we emphasize, I believe, ministry to the Lord as our primary function. I think that's a big one because we literally have the, the access. We have the opportunity and the responsibility to stand before the very face, the very throne of God and worship. You know, it, it is tough to boil that down, but really it means that we're ministers to him first. It's first commandment lifestyle. You know, it's loving God is my first priority, not ministering to the people, but ministering to the very heart of the Lord to me is what it means to be a priest. And I think when we say all believers are priests, that is true in, in, in principle, but it's not always true in function. Right. And we see that in how we order our lives, our ministries. Are we actually priesting? That is worshiping, praying, ministering directly to the heart of the father. Are we doing that in our lives and our services and our, in our meetings, um, in our expressions, I think that's where I, I see the priesthood uh, having its its full manifestation. No, that's so good. Yeah, I think about the same thing. When, it, when God says we're sons and daughters, that's true in our identity, but we don't always function in it. Sometimes we can still have an orphan heart, orphan mentality. We don't live like who we are, actually are. I think the same, same is true with the priesthood. Sometimes, even though our identity is that we are a royal priesthood in Jesus, we don't always live into that and live out. Uh, the reality of that calling and that identity that God has given us. So, so worship, prayer, ministry to the Lord is really at the at the heart of priesthood. How does this connect to revival, transformation of cities? Because I know you've been stewarding an amazing move of God at Bourbon Street in uh, New Orleans, and you've seen God do some amazing things with impacting people's lives in, in powerful ways. And worship is kind of right in the middle of that. Of course, we all love to worship and just be in the presence of God, and that's great. But how does that relate to transformation and revival of cities and, and nations? Well, it matters It matters greatly because a lot of the journey of the priesthood for me has been writing out the revelation. It's almost like, you know, sometimes you, you experience it before you have the language, and then sometimes you have the language before you experience it. And it's been a mix of both, I think, for me. Mm. Bourbon Street and the revival that took place in the bar the last few years has been, for me, a promise fulfilled because it's been the manifestation of things that I knew were true. Like I knew that priests rebuild cities, that hosting the presence of God actually 
changes the makeup of our cities, our nation. Listen, let me be real simple with that. Firstly, I will say two things from the word. Isaiah 61 prophesies about a time when the priests will rebuild the ancient city. They'll rebuild desolations of many generations. They'll rebuild the broken walls of cities. They will essentially restore people and places. That's what Isaiah 61 says. That scripture was fulfilled in Luke 4 when Jesus read that out loud and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We're living in the days. Good. It says, who will rebuild the desolation of many generations and restore cities? It says, they will be called the priests of the Lord. The priests are the ones who do it. You look in the Bible and you look at Bible maps. Look at a map pre-King David and you'll see that Israel was encroached upon by many enemy nations. Their territory is literally geographically smaller by a massive amount. Look at a map of the time of the reign of King David and Solomon, and you'll see all of that area that the enemy nations, Ammon, Edom, the Philistines, Israel increased in territory a massive amount during the time of King David. They had peace on every side, increased territory. Not only that, a complete economic revival. I mean, imagine a city that's a third world, basically, country that's always being attacked from every area. They're, they can never get a handle on their economic growth, on their territory, because they're always at war. Then imagine that nation becomes great, influential, economically powerful, a cultural, uh, a cultural influence in the entire region. You'd say, how did that nation do that? How did they make that happen? That is the nation of Israel in the time of King David. And it traces back to one simple thing. They hosted the presence of God as their primary function. They actually operated yeah. as they were supposed to be, which is a nation of priests. That's what they were, a nation of priests. That is who we are now. And we are going to rebuild cities and nations. And so, listen, it's a generational mindset. It's not revival for more good meetings. It's revival like we've seen at Bourbon Street, has happened through the simplicity of worship. It's like all we're doing is, and there's a lot going on, but our primary thing is we're just worshiping. We're priesting before the Lord. We're worshiping, we're praying, we're hosting his presence, letting him have control. And what he's doing is he's changing the city from the inside out like leaven in dough. And all that is, how is this happening? We're just priesting before the Lord. Amazing. When we host the presence like we're supposed to, cities change. The economy of that city changes. The people of that city are restored. And I think the biggest thing we have to realize here is this is not revival mm. or worship with the vision of more good meetings or encounters only. Sure. It's worship and priesthood with the vision of changing the entire makeup of cities and nations over the course of generations. I think that is that is the heart. And by the way, sometimes it takes less time than you think. Sometimes it's not as long as you think. I do believe when we lay hold of this revelation and we begin to actually be the priesthood we're called to be, we're going to see things like it's going to be normal that there's revival happening on Bourbon Street. It's going to be normal when they say, oh yeah, Bethel Redding, yeah, that place is an outpost of the kingdom of God. And I think that's what I see happening in priestly cities. And remember, just a little nugget for you. In the Old Testament, 
God actually had designated priestly cities of refuge. I don't know if you know this, but there was priestly cities where the priests would live. And King David made Jerusalem essentially a priestly city. Mm. I believe that's the call. And, and I believe, I believe we're seeing it right in front of our eyes. And of course, in the book, I have a ton of those examples of how cities have actually been changed yeah. through people hosting the presence of God as the priesthood. I love it. So good. Well, you, you brought up the Old Testament, and that was that was one of my questions I wanted to bring up, uh, is the difference between priesthood in the Old Testament and priesthood in the New Testament, because you have a chapter in your book that's a little provocative. You are not a Levite is the title of the chapter. I did get a copy of the book. I got about an hour to skim through it. I haven't read through all of it yet. I'm excited to dive in a little bit more deeply. But the chapter, you are not a Levite, I think that kind of maybe touches at this question, what the difference is between what we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because for a lot of people, if they think priest, they probably think either number one, Old Testament, tabernacle, Levites, or number two, they think Roman Catholicism <laughs> and uh, the whole whole priestly garb there. So what's the difference between Old Testament and New Testament priest? Attention, pastors and ministry leaders. We want to invite you to an ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, Utah, July 26th through the 28th. This ATD Leadership Summit is for leaders from across America that carry a shared value of hosting the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer and gospel proclamation. Our Awaken the Dawn team will be hosting the event, including David Bradshaw, Matthew Lilly, and David Valier. When you join us for this summit, you will experience real and refreshing connection with like-hearted leaders in an informal, fun, and relational environment, including four free meals together, teaching and training sessions catered to pioneering presence-centered ministry leaders, spirit-filled and life-giving times of worship, prophetic ministry, and prayer to refresh your heart, interactive breakout sessions and workshops to dialogue about practical ministry challenges, and a regional worship and prayer gathering the weekend after the summit. To learn more and register, go to awakenthedawn.com today. Again, join us for the ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, July 26th through the 28th. Register now at awakenthedawn.com. We can't wait to see you there. Great question. I I think this is one that is going to maybe get me pinned as being like, okay, bro, so you're just going to say you're not a Levite for clickbait. They're going to say we're not Levites just so you can seem edgy. The truth is that's that's just not my heart. You know, I, I know it's going to take some time for the church to stop calling worshipers Levites. And and frankly, I don't even care if they do. It It's not right. like it grinds my gears when someone calls them Levite. But I think that language matters. Words make worlds. I think our language is so indicative of how we see ourselves. And, and the difference between the Old Testament priest of the tribe of Levi, Levites, they operated according to the law. We are priests under a different order. And our high priest is Jesus, who's from the tribe of Judah. And Judah means praise. And whereas the Levites operated in the priesthood according to the law, we in the new covenant priesthood operate by the law of the spirit. And our high priest is from the tribe of Judah, which again is praise. There is a form of priestly ministry in the new covenant of praise and of worship. It's important for us to understand the distinction 
between Old Testament priests who did things out of duty, obligation, maybe not always, of course, but that is the essence of it. Our priesthood goes back to the garden. It has many different elements. It, it's through fellowship with God. We're not ministering from the outside in. We're ministering right before the face of God. You know, same thing with Melchizedek. You know, he gave bread and wine to Abraham. He offered access. I mean, that's a whole other thing, and I don't have time for that. But that's a whole deal where our priesthood is not just inclusive, but our priesthood, we actually offer access to fellowship and intimacy with God to others who aren't in the fold by offering bread and wine, that access point. So, you know, it's it's very important that we understand the differences. And I'm just touching on little places between our priesthood. You know, the presence of God broke out of the temple over 2000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. Yeah. And I say the church, a lot of times has tried to put that back in the four walls. When God wants to, to rest upon a whole new lineage of priests, that carry his presence into the highways and byways and darkest places of the earth. We are not a Levitical priesthood. We are of a different lineage and it is a whole different thing. And when you understand that you'll operate in a different form of worship than just, Hey, we're doing worship because we have to, or we're doing worship because it's for us. Mm. This is a whole different reality that the church has to be awakened to. I'm sure it'll take some time for people to stop saying Levites, but that's learned culture. And I just hope we can learn to step into a new day in the church where we understand the true power that we have on our priestly authority and ministry. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I, I wasn't totally sure where you were going to go with that when I saw the the chapter title, but I think you're you're totally right on in helping us understand the difference between the Old Testament and the new covenant priesthood that we have in Jesus. And, you know, I think the heart of most people that are using that language of Levites is that they're trying to help people actually understand their new new covenant uh, ministry to the Lord and the power of worship and prayer and those that are called to do that. But the temptation probably is that we fall back into old covenant mindsets and we think our buildings are the tabernacles and that that we're having to guard them or something like that. And, and uh, we don't totally understand the full dimension of what Jesus has offered us in, in this the spiritual reality of our new covenant priesthood. And like you said, we get to do it out of delight and not out of duty. We offer different kinds of sacrifices. Thank God we don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore. We can offer the sacrifices of praise, our bodies as living sacrifices poured out to God. And so I, I do have a question for you. There's this interesting couple of verses in Isaiah 66. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, I'm going to just read them here. But it says, they shall bring your brothers from all the nations. This is verse verses 20 and 21. They shall bring all your brothers from the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and chariots. It kind of goes on to my mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering. Some of them also, and this is people from the nations. It says, some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites. I don't know if you're familiar with that verse or not, but it's always intrigued me. And I don't, I have some ideas, but I don't totally understand all that it's getting into there. Some of it probably depends on, you know, somebody's eschatology, what they believe about the end times. But there's this verse that seems to hint at that God is going to bring priests and Levites out of the nations. And so anyway, are you familiar with that verse? And do you have, have any thoughts on how that might play in to your idea here? I am. 
I'm very, I'm very aware. And and there's also other verses where the Lord says in uh, different parts of, you know, Moses writings where, uh, I mean, you find it in Exodus. I know um, where God will say, you will be Levites to me forever. Right. I think we can go down this trail. I mean, surely we could have a deep talk on and dive deep on Levites and theologically are the people of Israel to operate in that that lineage of priesthood or did, did Christ? I do think there is a new priesthood. And I do think that, you know, we can get so into semantics that it just gets geeky, but it's not useful, right, to anybody. Sure. And so when I hear God's bringing Levites out of the nations or God's bringing priests and Levites, I think you got to understand too, right, that Isaiah is using language that's indicative of his time. He's using language that he might not have the full picture, right, when he's prophesying, because to him, priests are Levites and Levites are priests. And so one means the other and so forth. You know, it's only a few times in the Old Testament that people touched on this Melchizedek priesthood. David did it in Psalm 110. We see it in Genesis 14. But for the most part, it's a, it's a mystery. It's pretty, it's pretty vague until we get to the New Covenant, the New Testament scriptures and Hebrews. And Hebrews 7 says this Melchizedek priesthood stuff is the meat of the word. So if you read Hebrews 6, it says, I want to teach you the meat, but y'all mugs still drinking Sunday morning milk. So I can't give you the meat. He don't say it like that. That's my version. But he's like, you're still drinking milk, bro. I, I want to give you meat, but y'all y'all ain't ready for it. But here we go. And then he drops on Hebrews 7. And, and it's this unfolding of Melchizedek. I think when we see that language, you know, I think we have to understand that, again, they're speaking and prophesying in part in a glass darkly, if you will. There is this idea of, you know, I don't think the Levite language is necessarily wrong. I think it's a step in the right direction, but we can't stay there. It's like you said, I think a lot of people have used that language to try to help, but I think we're, we we can't stop there. It, that's not all there is. And so is that what you're asking? Like in reference to the Levite yeah. word being used for new covenant priests, I, I'm assuming that's what you're asking, correct? Yeah, no, that's great. You just... I was just curious because it's it's been an interesting couple of verses that I've pondered and and don't feel like I have a lot of understanding on, but I think it's it's very interesting that it just talks about Levites coming from the nations, and so uh, no, but I think that's a great uh, great answer. I do think priests are coming, and I think when you see that, you have to understand like Isaiah is a man seeing something. He's he's using his language right to describe right. what he sees coming. And so when he says Levites, it's just known those are the priests. Does Isaiah really have the full understanding? I have to say no. I don't think he had. I mean, the guy had a lot. I mean, 66 books. Your boy was flowing in a whole different way. Isaiah's probably, I would say Isaiah 40 to the end of the book is some of my favorite part of the Bible. Anyway, but think about this too, just to end on this, Ezekiel sees a river flowing out of a temple, right? He sees a river flowing out of a temple and and it's touching everything it touches grows. He is seeing what John later describes in the book of Revelation. Ezekiel is saying, I see this river come out of the temple. He was seeing the new covenant temple. He was seeing what Jesus said. He said, you are the temple and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Listen, we are the new covenant temple. Ezekiel was seeing it. He had no clue to probably put language to that being an actual human being. 
when Jesus says in John three, you destroy this temple three days, I'll raise it up again. Might be John two. I don't know. But when he says, you see this temple, he's saying, we are the temple. So Ezekiel's seeing the temple with river flowing out of it. And he's going, this is the new covenant temple. And he doesn't have the full expression. And I think when we read that, we have to, we have to know that the new covenant light illuminates the fullness of what the Old Testament prophets were trying to describe. Wow, we're, we're going into some fun Bible places. The, the temple of Ezekiel, I know people have, theologians, scholars, whatever, have multiple opinions on what exactly he was getting at there. And uh, it's another one of those interesting passages of Scripture that we all try to, our best to understand. But I, it's, there's obvious connections there between what the Apostle John saw and what Ezekiel saw. It's, it's really good. So I want to kind of hop back to your book here. I know that while you were writing it, you had some trouble and lost some of your book that you had already written and had to rewrite it. And so I just thought maybe might might be interesting to hear you share some of your journey in writing the book and maybe what God ta- taught you through some of that. You want you want me to like expose all of my pain and, and suffering? Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. I, I, it's what I do for a living, man. I just preach. Yeah, I just preach from my pain and my bitterness. Uh, no, I... Um, yeah, so um, it was last year. I I actually lost forty percent of the entire book. I was about eighty percent done with the book. I would say. Yeah. And you know, you're spending time not just researching, not just you know going through all the all the stuff, but you're also praying and 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 I, even before sitting down to write, I'm praying and I'm I'm really seeking the Lord. I'm I'm worshiping. I'm I'm in this place. So when you lose all that. And you're getting what's inside of you out. It's 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 tough because you know you get into these flows writing where you it, you tap the vein and then you finally hit it. And so when I lost it, I did everything I could. You know, I I know everyone's thinking, "What did you do this? Do that?" I did every single thing I could. It, it just hadn't been saving like I thought it was to the cloud. And so I tried to recover it, couldn't. And it took me months. So I felt gut punched. You know, I couldn't. I was so discouraged and uh, about doing it. But I finally jumped back in and started with one of the last chapters of the book. Like a, I think it's called a priesthood of sons and daughters. And um, it really led me down this, I think, more pure road that is more true to the gospel, to the essence of what the gospel is. I think that I was writing a little much um, from the priesthood being a vocational reality instead of a relational reality. And, and Hebrews says, you know, he has appointed a son as high priest. So there is this idea of, of relationship. It's sonship that, that has to do with our priesthood. It's not a duty. It's not an obligation. It's, it's something we, we get to enjoy through fellowship. And I think that it helped me have a, a better way to write out my, what, what I was already inside of me, it helped me to get that out. I think in a more pure, a pure way. So I'm, I'm thankful for it. It was tough, but I, I am thankful that I had the opportunity to kind of go and 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 do that to finish it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, the, there's a couple of verses in Hebrews that really tie together the idea of sonship and and priesthood together. And you know, you're talking about Le- the Levites. They were of the family of Levi. That they they were part of the priesthood because of their family. And we are a part of the priesthood because we're a part of God's family. And, you know, I think about the families in the tabernacle of David. That That's right. Those, fa- those fathers had their sons, and they were the ones that were the worship teams, essentially, during David's reign. 
And I think that's the picture that we need to look to as well is, is what is, how does priesthood work in the context of family? I think that's actually the only context in which it can work is relationally in, in terms of how we relate to God and, and doing it um, together. So, um, well, Chris, we're, we're probably coming up on our time here very quickly. Any other thoughts on the priesthood? Anything you want to kind of leave with people on this idea of the priesthood and worship and ministry to the Lord and all that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so much to the priesthood. There's so much to the worship movement. And there, there's so much happening in the world today that sometimes this might seem like some non-essential thing um, when it comes to the gospel, the work of the kingdom of God, what the church is in the earth in these days. But I think no matter your view, your stream, your end time convictions um, or eschatology, I, I think that this matters. It matters deeply. The priesthood is who we are. If our kingdom of God, our nation, our we are a, a royal nation of priests. If that's who we are, and that's how the Bible identifies us, I, I think that our, our flag would have to be something to do with the priesthood. Our national flag would have to be something to the priesthood. That's who we really are. We, we, we walk in fellowship with God. We minister to Him first. It's our first ministry, our emphasis. And then we represent Him to the world. And so I think that this book, this idea of the priesthood, the worship movement that we're currently in, and the rebuilding of the Tabernacle of David. I think that my book, The Priesthood, is just another stepping stone in the right direction. It's another roadmap into what God, I believe, is doing and, and where, where we're going. So I would just encourage everybody to grab it, even if you think, ah, I don't know that this has a ton of relevance to me where I'm at. I'm a pastor. Or maybe I'm just, I'm a businessman or, you know, I, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm this and that. Um, I don't think it matters. I think that to have this revelation, to know who you are, I have seen the priesthood operate in all of the aforementioned careers or, you know, jobs or whatever you want to call it, whatever your calling in life is, I would say it matters to you and it, it matters deeply. And so I just encourage people to get this book and to dive into it, let it inform you in whatever way and whatever your calling, you know, may be. Yeah, so good. Well, Chris, thank thank you for writing it because I think that we need more voices bringing this up. We need more people talking about what does it mean to be a priest? What does it mean to minister to the Lord? Uh, what is the Tabernacle of David? All these things that we're so passionate about, the, the connections between worship, prayer, our, our purpose in God and, and seeing revival and, and transformation. So I'm so thankful that you you wrote it. And there's so much more in the scriptures. Once you begin to to see this and begin to understand it, and the the door kind of opens up to Revelation. You realize from Genesis to to Revelation, there's insights on the priesthood all throughout Scripture. So I want to encourage people to study this themselves, and to of course get a copy of Chris's book. And and because we've just we've really just scratched the surface here in our conversation today, uh, and there there's so much more to learn, uh, and it is relevant to all of us. It's not just for those in full time ministry. Uh, it's for all of us as believers to understand. So awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. This has been great. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We would love for you to hit follow or subscribe in whatever app you're using so that you can continue to get episodes like this every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor and please share it with your friends and post it on social media. 
be sure to tag Awaken the Dawn in your post so that we can reshare that with all of our friends as well. If you're tuning in on Apple, please leave us a rating or a review. And if you're on YouTube, give us that thumbs up like button and leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's episode. And we really appreciate it. Finally, please visit our website at awakenthedawn.com. You can find out more about our ministry and movement, and you can also make a donation to help support this podcast and the Awaken the Dawn ministry. Thank you again for tuning in today, and don't forget, Jesus changes everything.